So, you know, you got to get the guy who has, or the girl or whomever, who has a, a good fit with you and, and complements your skill set. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome back to another episode. I'm Sarah Larby and you are listening to Where Should I Invest? And today's guest is Josh Stevenson, who's a real estate investor investing in Northern Ontario, some really cool places that I've barely heard of and has been doing amazing, has amazing cash flow. They've acquired more than 90 doors and are doing a great job. It's super inspirational, super motivating, and uh, it's just something else to think outside the box and find deals in further markets because sometimes the closer markets are super heated and cash flow is getting more and more scarce. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. And for those of you that missed the first ever Have Your Cake and Eat It too, we are doing another one November 30th. Email me if you are interested. It is going to sell out fairly quickly as well since we have to a limit spots but b it was uh, an awesome event and we were sold out the first time as well so if you are interested sarah at sarahlarby.com let me know and i will send you some information and now let's bring in our guest josh stevenson josh welcome to the show how are you i'm well and you Good, good. So I'm excited to be back in the fall doing podcasts and I'm excited to have you on. Like you've done so many awesome projects. I want to dissect into a, a few of them, but thanks for being on and uh, I'm excited to, uh, to start the conversation. Yeah, thank you and happy election day. I hope uh, you got a chance to get out and vote today. I, uh, I did the early one. So I went oh, on, uh, I think the 12th or the, or the 13th. And, uh, you know, this is the first time that I am as focused and uh, and as into the whole politics stuff because I think it's all affecting us much more uh, in today's world than it was you know maybe five six years ago or maybe it's just because because now I'm in real estate so <laughs> yeah no, I know everything seems to uh, have have a kind of a direct effect on us so uh, we hope the right guys get in there and girls right absolutely yeah. awesome all right so um you are a property investor in aurelia ontario and uh, you currently have uh, over 82 doors valued at 13 plus million which is awesome give us a little bit of uh, background on how you got started in real estate investing okay uh we've added some doors since then too i guess that's that oh, information is nice. a little yeah we're up to 90 now so okay, cool. never a dull moment but uh i was a school teacher for many many years I taught grade eight for 15 years, and then I finally had my fill of it. <laughs> but I, I started real estate investing just after my first child was born, after Luke was born, about 14 years ago, and I started in Barrie with a house hack. I, uh, I lived in uh, a part of a duplex, and I rented out the other. And uh, from Barrie, I kind of put all my, my interest and my money and, and uh, all of that into Aurelia, Ontario. And I, I did spend uh, four years growing up in Aurelia when I was, uh, you know, a teenager. And my, my mother still lived in Aurelia at the time. Uh, so for the past uh, 14 years, I've kind of built it gradually. But um, Aurelia has really blew up in appreciation. Like um, I was buying, you know, like 13, 
14 years ago, I was buying four plexes for 200,000 and a triplex for, you know, like a 195. And I just was slowly accumulating these buildings uh, in Aurelia, Ontario, while being a school teacher. And then, uh, you know, what happened to Aurelia happened pretty much everywhere in Ontario. Everything blew up and uh, my, my buildings kind of doubled in value. And then I, I, I just kept taking the equity out. And I always held on to the building because I thought that was the smart uh, long-term play. And I would uh, use it to buy more investment properties. Uh, and then I had uh, one of my friends move home from, he was working on the, the oil sands in Alberta. And he moved back uh, a few years ago and we partnered up. And that's when we really put this thing on steroids. So we, we incorporated and um, we started really being aggressive because I had a bunch of capital. He had, he had a bunch of money from the oil sands. He had a little portfolio. I, I had a kind of a small portfolio. And then we just took all of our equity and aggressively um, bought places in Aurelia. Uh, we went to Sundridge. We bought a little retirement community with uh, 14 units there. Uh, we went up to North Bay. We bought another 34 units there. And now we are focusing in Cobalt, New Liskard, and Temiskaming Shores, which is about three and a half hours north of me. Um, and we have uh, 12 units there. We have two fourplexes and two duplexes, and we're looking to expand there. So, Sarah, the play is to always stay, uh, stay ahead of these market explosions, because when we went to North Bay, it was, it was still cheap. And then when we went to uh, New Liskard and Cobalt, it was still cheap again. But... Uh, in the last, since COVID hit, North Bay has seen like a 45% uh, market increase. So we're just trying to stay ahead of the trend and finding those northern communities to invest in. There's like so much stuff to unpack, but first and foremost, I will say I 100% agree with you. I mean, when I started investing in Brantford, everyone was like focused on Hamilton and I'm like, well, not even 20 minutes away. It's like half the price <laughs> and right. the rents are quite exactly. similar. So I 100% agree with you. I want to take a step back because so you were, you know, growing as an investor a little bit more slowly and then your partner uh, as well, you know, and we hear a lot about joint venture partnerships where there's like an active partner and a passive partner, but it sounds like for, for you, both of you, you're, you're kind of building this business together and, and it's like a true partnership rather than a, a typical joint venture, but maybe walk me through how, you know, how that even came about and, and how, you know, maybe somebody can look at, at doing something like that versus a typical, you know, active passive uh, portion. Yeah. Do you know what? I would really recommend it if you, if you can find the perfect partner. Now, Brent dated my sister for a decade <laughs> and uh, we actually traveled, uh, you know, I've taught English in uh, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, the Czech Republic, uh, Australia. I taught at an ESL school teaching Japanese surfers how to speak English. So uh, after university, I went abroad and I was teaching English for years and years. And uh, Brent was dating my sister and I invited them over to the Czech Republic and they taught with us there. And they taught with us uh, in Taiwan. They taught with my wife and myself. We weren't married at the time. And uh, then we moved back to Toronto and we actually uh, opened our own um, ESL school in Toronto. And uh, it was on Queen, uh, Queen and Parliament. And uh, unfortunately, we got shut down because of SARS and 9-11 and all my international students bailed because of obvious reasons. But Brent, Brent and I had traveled for many, many years. We knew each other really well. And uh, his skill set um, kind of complemented mine. 
Uh, we both know how to, to uh, renovate. <laughs> we, we both are completely uh, hook, line, and sinker, uh, you know, drawn to real estate. We love real estate, and we'll, we'll talk about it for days if you let us. So, uh, you know, you got to get the guy who has, or the girl or whomever, to, who, who has a, a good fit with you and, and complements your skill set. We can work together. And I'll tell you one thing, Sarah, we, we, we still man, foolishly manage all our units. And, uh, you know, my wife is the tenant liaison. She takes the calls. Uh, Brent's wife does the, the numbers and the books. And Brent and I, you know, swing the deals and we do all the rent out. So more and more we're getting uh, people involved. But um, one of the proudest things that I, I can uh, claim is, is uh, we've built this thing with no JV partners. Um, we've built it all just with, with uh, Brent's equity, my equity, a bit, you know, our, our savings, and some really smart deals. We've done a lot of um, no money down deals with uh, credit unions where you know, we'll, we'll ask to buy a building and the, the seller of the building will lend us 20%, the 20% down payment, and the credit union will give us the 80%. So essentially, we're getting a no money down deal. We just pay for the closing costs, which is you know, a fraction of the overall deal. So yeah, I, I would say if you can find a partner who is as ambitious as you and has got a good skill set and you, you can get along with, yeah, knock it out of the park. Go for that. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. I want to take a quick pause from the podcast to introduce you to some of my amazing contractors on this week's episode. I wanted to introduce you to Rob and Joel from White's Elm Design Build. And Rob and Joel just finished my major renovations on my latest Burlington project. And it was a full renovation and absolutely worth it. They've been super easy to work with. I wanted to give you guys some insights on some of the services that they offer their clients and they focus on Oakville to Hamilton and beyond, but they're really great. Like if you guys are ever in a property and you want to FaceTime or video call Rob or Joel, they can actually give you some insights on what to look for and also how much we are looking at renovations. Because if you're thinking about doing a flip or a burr project, the reno part is really important to get right to also figure out how much it's going to cost and what renos are going to be needed to get the actual maximum after repair value. So super important. They will gladly do these video calls or conference calls with you guys to give you some of those insights. They're really good at getting back to clients quickly. They can also do physical walkthroughs. If you guys are thinking about purchasing a property or you have it under contract, they can do that with you. They're super professional and uh, they've been very involved in my latest project and uh, really on the ball. So super easy to communicate with. They finished on time, on budget which is really important as we know. And they've got a whole team of trades. They line them up so that they're as efficient as possible. And they work with a lot of investors, but they also do some of the higher end flip types of projects too. So they work on everything in between. They're fully licensed, insured, WSIB covered. So feel free to reach out to them. They are able to be found at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. That is white elmdesignbuild.com or you can send them an email joel j-o-e-l at white 
whiteelmdesignbuild.com or rob at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. Good luck on your next projects. Now back to the show. Absolutely. So, so you're managing a large portfolio, you know, and I, yeah. I guess quote unquote, it's still family run and you're yeah. doing this fairly remotely as well. So, I mean, I'm sure there's some challenges where being maybe three hours away or, or more, you know, are you, are you thinking of continuing that way? Are you going to hire more people? Are you going to have potentially more, more feet on the street or how are you, you know, doing all the management piece with yeah. 90 plus doors? Yeah. Um, so what, what we're doing now is uh, it's, it's kind of a simple system, but it's an effective system. So in each building, so we, we've got, you know, five plexes, six plexes, tons of duplexes, four plexes. Uh, in each building, what we do is we try and find a responsible person who's on our team. And we say to them, listen, if anything goes wrong here, can we count on you to call us? Um, if there's, you know, a leaky pipe or um, some, some sort of problem with the roof. And in each building, we kind of have like an anchor person who, who lets us know when something is going wrong. And uh, Brent and I actually have to do water tests on a couple of our properties. We've got, uh, we bought an old public school outside of town. It's the old Utah public school out of, out of uh, Aurelia here. And it, it, they converted into a big sevenplex. So we do a water test there. In our retirement community in Sundridge, we do a water test. And then we drive the water samples up to North Bay every, every couple weeks or every week. So we, we're always checking in on it at least once a week. And we, you know, most of the stuff that you have to do as a landlord isn't immediate. Like, you, you know, you don't have to drop everything and, and go there in the moment. But uh, you got to be there, you know, fairly regularly. And if the people in the building that have agreed to help us can't, can't manage a problem, uh, we're there, you know, at least once a week to solve the problems, uh, you know, let the, let the tenants have what they need from us and, and continue to have that positive relationship. Yeah. I mean, it is a great tip to find, you know, somebody responsible in each building that you can count on at least just to relay yeah. the information over. So I want to switch gears a little bit because you did mention using credit unions, using uh, VTBs for the down payment. So you're not putting your own money down. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I'd be curious to, to hear more about that and just, you know, how you've been able to get the VTBs and then also, you know, what is it exactly that the credit unions have been able to do for you? Yeah. So first of all, you know, not, not anybody, just anybody can do this. Um, you do need uh, some collateral. So, I mean, even if you have a, a, you know, a house with a lot of equity in it, you could probably do it. But what we do is, um, you know, when, when somebody is selling a property that we're interested in, we'll, we'll call them up and then we'll tell our, our credit union now we're interested in buying this and they're going to lend us the 20% down payment. Now the credit union, one of them, we, we deal with a, a couple different ones and what, what we did for our first four no money down deals was they, they said, okay, well, you guys have, you know, uh, a few million in equity in these buildings already. So if anything goes wrong or you default on these vendor take back uh, mortgages, these first mortgages or second mortgages, we'll just come out through some of the buildings that you have in Aurelia. And this was the kind of the North Bay strategy and the Cobalt strategy. So we did about four of them like that. And the last uh, three, I think, they've actually wanted to um, put a second mortgage or kind of a lien on a particular property. So for the first four, they're like, oh, you're all good to go. And then once we did it again and again and again, they said, okay, if you don't, on this new building, let's say we, we bought a, uh, a sixplex for $800,000 in, in North Bay. They said, okay, well, if you don't 
you know, if you don't pay the VTB or the mortgage to us, we are going to actually come after this particular building. So we had to put a lien on a particular building. So it was kind of loosey-goosey at the start, but if you play it long enough, they, they say, okay, now we're going to look at particulars because, you know, you're getting to the point where you're a little more risky. But uh, we keep doing it because the market keeps appreciating and, and the equity keeps building and we keep doing it again and again and again. And we've been told this is the last one about four times. <laughs> and then we say, well, look at the market, you know, it's appreciated. So the market's been so good to us and we've been able to kind of just take the ball and run with it. So these credit unions, essentially, you are building the relationships directly with them rather than going to mortgage broker. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I'll tell you how I did it, Sarah. Actually, um, I heard, you know, I pay attention to all these podcasts and different real estate investors, and I heard uh, certain credit unions would, would do a deal like this. And, and I heard it, uh, I think, uh, Mel and Dave up in uh, North Bay, they're kind of a big name on North Bay, and they didn't give any specifics. So what I did was I sent out an email to every credit union in Ontario, every single one, and there was like, you know, 80 of them or something. And every single one of them said no, except for one. And they said, you know, we'll take a look at your portfolio and we'll look at it as a global portfolio. And because I sent out that many emails, I, you know, you only, you only have to be right once. You can be wrong a lot of times. Um, so yeah, that one credit union started and then another credit union kind of saw what we were, we were doing with them and they, they thought, well, these guys are a pretty safe bet, so we'll move in and, and do some business with them too. So yeah, we have two different credit unions we do it with and they do like all of the equity. And I'll tell you another thing, Sarah, um, because Brent and I do not have a lot of joint venture partners, it's just Brent and myself and Brent's wife and my wife, they, the credit unions love it because we haven't muddied the waters with all kinds of different lenders and different situations where so-and-so owns 30% of this building and we only own 25. Like we own these buildings, just he and I. So the credit unions feel good about that too, that we haven't muddied the waters with all kinds of JV partners. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the ones that said yes, like, is it because the other ones said no based on having a joint venture in second position or like, what were they saying no about? Because essentially you're buying these with none of your own money. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, so is, that, is that the no uh, or, or was it something else? Well, they, they, um, they call it skin in the game, right? A lot of banks and, and, uh, even credit unions, they want you to have some skin in the game. So before we started getting these no money down deals, Meridian, I'll throw, I'll throw out a name for you. Meridian used to uh, let us do a 10% VTB. So, you know, of the, you know, 20%, uh, I, I think we had to put in 15% of our own money and uh, we, we could collect a uh, VTB of 10%. So Meridian, that's the way they like to do it. We did find another credit union that said, hey, you guys, because you have so much equity, we are willing to, you know, basically give you the give you the 80% when you are lent the 20 and we'll come after these buildings if need be. But they felt good about us uh, because of the size of our portfolio. Okay. All right. That, that makes sense. And I mean, it's just, you know, something else in our toolbox to potentially oh, go after. Who, who was it in the, uh, the credit unions that usually had the ability to make that decision and that you've met, you would have had the conversation with? Like what oh, kind of the, 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 the people that played ball with us? 
No, uh, like I don't need to know who, well, I mean, you oh. can share whatever you want, but just like the, the, the people themselves, like what their titles were, the roles were like, you know, in terms of being able to give you the green light. They're, they're oftentimes just called a relationship manager and, uh, you know, they keep it loosey goosey. So, you know, the relationship manager, uh, basically is, is your kind of liaison with that company. And, um, they, they, they oftentimes, they call it kicking up upstairs. They'll say, well, well, we'll take all your information. We'll kick it upstairs to the underwriters. And uh, I think every credit union, first of all, they have a little bit more of a, you know, they have more leeway. Like those, those um, the big five national banks, I got my first five income properties with them. And that was great because, you know, the interest rates were really great. But after five, they kind of say, hey, that's about all the exposure we want to risk. And uh, I think Scotia is now going to 10. So that's a good thing. But we're beyond that now, of course. So, uh, yeah, credit unions don't have to abide by the same kind of strict guidelines. So I would recommend uh, if you're trying to kind of get your portfolio to a larger place, go to the credit unions. Uh, those are the guys that are going to work with you and look at your portfolio as a whole, as they call it a global portfolio and kind of just look where the equity is and make a decision based on that. All right. Awesome. And, and I want to bring in uh, just a quick discussion about the joint ventures and uh, you know, how many, how many do you approach to, to how many do you actually end up getting uh, a yes from and, uh, and maybe just walk us through maybe some of the pros and cons to approaching somebody uh, and then agreeing to do it. Oh, like a vendor take back. Um, Sorry, yeah, so PB, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a few. Uh, okay. So in the past, like uh, up in, um, for example, cobalt, um, a lot of income properties were kind of, and, and not, you know, not, not a ton by standards of, of Southern Ontario, but a lot of them were, were sitting around and they're on the market for quite a while. So uh, basically, you're looking for properties that have been on the market for a little while, which is kind of a rarity these days because everything's being snatched up. COVID's kind of changed the game. Or uh, we, we actually picked up a, a fourplex in North Bay, and uh, they, they, they were in a real tough spot because they had some really problematic tenants that were, you know, and they weren't one, one apartment of the four wasn't paying rent. Uh, there was a lot of drugs around there, uh, pretty, pretty rough building. So those people were trying to unload it. Um, they had a lot of people walk through and not want to take it. Brent and I, uh, we are not afraid of anything. So we're like, bring it on, you know, if you're going to give me the right price and you're going to lend me the down payment, I will take your building and I will take care of your headaches. Right. I, I taught grade eight for 15 years. I'm a patient person <laughs> and I know how to deal with uh, difficult situations. So we, we take on buildings that are either distressed or they're, they've got a bad situation or they've been sitting around on the market too long. Uh, and we also usually give them asking price. We don't haggle over price. We say, hey, if you're going to lend us a 20% down payment, I'm not going to haggle you down, you know, 10, 15 grand. I'll give you what you want. And sometimes we give them a bit more. And then another thing, Sarah, is I kind of sell them on this. I say, listen, when you lend me the 20% down payment, I'm going to be paying you back that down payment over a five-year term, and I'm going to give you interest on that money. So a $400,000 building, they're going to end up getting, you know, $415,000 because I'm going to be paying them, you know, 5% interest. We usually go with five, but you can go higher or lower. And, and they actually get over asking price if they trust that you're going to pay them. But then I also show them our portfolio. We got it all up on the website. And they think, wow, these guys have been doing it for a while and they're trustworthy. So that's kind of the, the pitch. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask, like when we bought the, uh, the resorts, uh, well, it's, it's land. Um, they ended up doing a mm-hmm. 5% VTB for first position, 80% loan to value. And you know, we wouldn't have, yeah. if we wouldn't have asked and in, in land, raw land's hard to finance. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. if you don't ask, you don't get, so it, uh, yeah. it definitely works. Uh, and there's pros, like you said, and there's also some, some downsides. So, you know, obviously you're, you're investing in these, I don't know if I want to call them tertiary markets, but not you yeah. know, common, you know, top top 10 that we necessarily hear about, mm-hmm. you know, why, why would somebody want to do that? And, uh, and what are some down potential pitfalls too of, of investing in these smaller markets? Okay. Well, first of all, the game's kind of changed in Ontario. Like th- this whole province has a housing shortage. It's more acute in, in certain areas than others, but we, we have 0% vacancy all the time. The, the only time we have a vacant apartment is when somebody's been kind of rough with it and we got to take a month and, and bring it back up to speed and reno it. But, um, you know, when we put a, 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 an apartment up for rent, even in Cobalt, Ontario, which has a population of like a thousand people, we get multiple people wanting to move in there. Now, I know um, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, when you're investing money, you should do, you should look into kind of the market factors. Is there a big employer? Um, is the town growing or shrinking? You know, and uh, what does the future look like? And, and Sudbury is very strong in that respect. Uh, nobody was really talking about North Bay. Um, because it's been stagnant for, for years. Um, we put a whole bunch of money into it. And as soon as COVID hit, a whole bunch of people from Toronto just started going up to North Bay to live. Um, the U-Haul trucking company uh, put out some statistics saying there are more U-Haul trucks going one way from Toronto to North Bay than any other location in the entire province. Um, so we kind of threw the dice and kind of, you know, hit the jackpot with that but i would not be afraid to at this point sarah i would not be afraid to invest money in any market like maybe one if there's a town with a a mine closing immediately that's a problem but we're seeing such growth up north we're seeing mines reopen uh cobalt is going to start uh taking uh cobalt from the congo and making electric car batteries with it so uh, Cobalt's about to kind of uh, have a big influx of workers because uh, it's going to be the only place in North America they're doing this. Um, and there are mines opening up all over the place because metals are becoming, minerals and metals are becoming more and more uh, valuable. So I think your viewers should really look to the north. Like that could be a huge boom for them if they look at the market. But yeah, it's it's a town by town or city by city basis. but I'd say like, you know, 85% of those places up there, you, you just can't lose. Yeah. And, and what does rent look like? I mean, obviously if, if you've got like zero vacancy and there's very, very low vacancy, can you give us like maybe just an, an example of, I mean, maybe price per unit and then the rent that you would get some, you know, on something like that. Okay. Well, I can give you some pretty bizarre examples because we, you know, we do a lot of off-market deals. Like we bought, we okay, I'll, I'll give you an example in Cobalt, Ontario. We bought a uh, duplex for $70,000 in February, and it needed a whole bunch of work. But we hi- we bought it in cash because it was so cheap. And we, we had a guy renovate it for $10,000. We put about twenty in, so then we were up to $100,000. We rent that out. The top goes for $1,300 for a 
three bedroom. The bottom goes for a thousand, and that is a one bedroom. So that's a home run. Like it's you like know, the, you know that one percent rule. This is like the two percent rule, right? Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're no. That, well, that's the one percent rule is where we start. Now we can't always get that. Like you know, this year, like we just uh, in July, we bought a fiveplex in North Bay. It was an old restaurant they converted into units. It's on uh, Fisher Street, and I think we bought five units for four hundred and seventy thousand dollars. And yeah, that, I think that. Why well, I do have the cash flow numbers. Yeah, that that guy cash flows uh, like eighteen hundred dollars. Another thing is like a lot of people talk about. Oh, I have so many doors. You know, like I have two hundred doors. But if you're only getting a hundred dollars a door, you know, you're not really maxing out on your cash flow. But um, you know, like we we really try and make at least a thousand dollars a building if not you know two thousand so like we have four plexes that were cash flowing two thousand um, dollars we just bought yeah uh, six units and they're all three bedrooms with a finished basement and that was a no money down deal that in north bay this this uh late spring and that cash flows two thousand nine hundred dollars so we're getting like huge returns up there I know down south, you guys get a little bit more on the appreciation end, but I think we're killing it on the, the actual cash flow because uh, we're not afraid to buy the distressed buildings, do the Burr method. Um, we're doing quite a bit of that now. We have contractors working for us up in uh, New Liskard starting in October. They just finished another one earlier this summer. So we're kind of going that way. But yeah, I feel that we have pretty high standards in terms of like what we will look at. We want the 1% rule minimum. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. So, I mean, obviously it's probably on people's minds with, you know, the election and the, and the pandemic and how we're all going to come out of this. Are you doing anything in particular so that you can also handle the downside? I mean, obviously I'm assuming that like your tenants aren't all going to lose their jobs at the same time, but are there any like tips or strategies that you're saying if something happens, I'm not saying something's going to happen, but if something happens and we're going into like a little bit of turbulence, you know, are you taking any measures uh, now so that you can, uh, you can ride the waves? Yeah, like I, I think if you buy for cash flow, you 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 can wait out any bad situation. Like I mean, even if the market drops, I think the the most you'd ever see it drop because uh, I'm not a naysayer. I'm an optimist. Most uh, real estate investors are. You may be ten percent, fifteen percent, but I mean that's going to go back up over time. And if you do have uh, good cash flow on your buildings, you just wait it out. Like I I live off cash flow. Uh, Brent and his wife lives off cash flow, and we're very comfortable. More more money than I've ever made teaching. So if you buy for cash flow, you're you're always going to win. And I'll tell your your listeners one thing: you you don't have to have a million of these units. Like if you have like one income property, it can change your life, or two income properties. So when I was in, younger and my kids were you know just little, you know my wife stayed home. She's she's an author. She she writes books. And, uh, you know, we weren't making a ton of money because we were just starting out. Teachers' salaries started like 44000 or whatever. But we had an income property, and then we added another income property. And because of that, you know, we got to go to Australia for five weeks or, and buy a, a boat, and we have a cottage and a sauna and a sea-do. But that's all because of the income properties. My, my meager teacher's salary could have never afforded me those things. And that was just with two or three income properties. So, I mean, you don't have to do a ton of these to have kind of a game-changing situation for yourself. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree 100%. At the end of the day, you know, if there is a dip, chances are not all your tenants are going to stop paying you at the same time because rent is still going to be, you know, usually, if anything, rent goes up and in, uh, in times of turbulence, <laughs> if anything. 100%. But, you know, go, going back to this is why I'm a big cash flow proponent as well. If you're if you're buying something that's super sure. expensive, you're buying a condo and you're paying and you know, you guys who you are at home listening to this, if you're paying four, five, six hundred dollars for somebody to live in your unit, out of your pocket, out of your salary, Ooh. you're, you know, you're going to be like capped very, very quickly. Like you might do a couple of those. And then ultimately it's, it's going to go against uh, many of our goals of like establishing freedom. Uh, how long did it take you to, uh, to retire from when you started investing? Well, I, I taught abroad for many years and then I had that ESL school in Toronto that um, went belly up, but I was a school teacher, a regular school teacher for 15 years. And it took me, yeah, 15 years. So I, you know, I'm 48 now. Um, I started collecting in, income properties 15 years ago. So it wasn't like an, an overnight thing. And, and a lot of people should realize that, that real estate's the long game. And um, I, in retrospect, I could have done it faster if I had partnered up with Brent earlier or somebody like that. But I'm kind of happy, you know, it happened pretty organically. I, you know, I, I would just add at the beginning, I would add an income property every year or every 18 months. And it grew quite slowly, but it's just the cumulative effect, right? Like these, you know, this building's equity plus this building's equity plus this building's equity. If, if you just take, keep taking that equity and, and putting it into other income producing assets, and mine is just real estate. I just do real estate. You can actually, you know, the snowball effect will take you to where you want. It's not going to happen overnight. So it took me 15 years. I, I retired on November 27th, 2020. I kind of will always remember that day. And uh, I, I love my teaching career, but um, I kind of painted myself into a corner because, you know, when I retired, I think, you know, I, we had 70 something doors and, and, you know, I would teach all day and then I would coach basketball or volleyball or football and then I would come home and Jessica would say you got to go you know switch out a tap across town and then I'd have to do that so it, it was toward the end it was quite taxing because um, I had a more substantial portfolio but at the beginning you know you just do your work on the weekends or you do it here and there but it was it was really a really kind of triumphant day just walking away from my friends and a, a profession I did love but you know, this, this was what I wanted to build. It was my dream. And uh, I actually realized my dream uh, at age 47. So I mean, it, it wasn't an overnight thing. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. So, I mean, we can keep talking we can take this into so many directions, but we are uh, coming up to our time. So the next part of the podcast is the lightning round. So Josh, I'm going to ask you five questions. Every guest gets the same questions and you're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready to play? Certainly I am. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at margaret at completepminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. All right. Lightning round question number one. What is your favorite real estate investing book? 
I'm going to have to go with, it's, it's a book, and it's not a really well-known book, but it's called uh, Building Wealth One House at a Time by John W. Schwab. And this was actually the book that got me into real estate investing. I was just in the library one day, I was walking down the aisle, and I just started my teaching career, and it was the summer, and uh, you know, I just had a bit of extra time. I love libraries, and I took the, the, the book off the shelf, and it was a revelation. Like I don't think it's the best written book. Ever, but it's the book that really got me my start and the, the title building wealth one house at a time it just lays it out in a very simple kind of uh, format if you just buy a, a one house every year or every two years or every three years it just shows like a 20-year spread and, and it was just like a light bulb went off I was like holy crap why isn't anybody else doing this and that was the book that really jump-started my investing career and I will always be thankful uh, to that author in that book and that moment in the library. Awesome. And also thank you for saying something different than rich dad, poor dad. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it's a bad book. It's a great book, but it just gives us more options. Yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. Question number two, this does not have to be real estate specific, but do you have a favorite podcast? And if so, which one? I'm a bit of a uh, international travel nerd and inter I follow international politics pretty closely. So uh, there, there's a podcast called Pod Save the World and it, it basically just gives you a synopsis about everything going on in the world. You know, uh, it's kind of a socioeconomic look and a look at the politics and there's all kinds of coups going on and the whole Trump roller coaster. And But it's, it's a real global view. So I, I love that. I'm going to I'm going to uh, give a shout out to your podcast. Love that. And I've done a few others too. The Breakthrough Guys, you know, Real Talk with Gary. Those guys are great. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Number three, what is your favorite pastime? What do you do for fun when it's not around real estate? I used to be uh, really into uh, boating and wakeboarding. Uh, I travel a lot too. I try and get my, my family out and about, you know, out of the country too. Um, we've lived, you know, abroad. Uh, my wife and I have lived in many different countries, so I do love traveling. And uh, yeah, I love my boat, love my uh, Sea-Doo and the cottage. I, I know that you have a cottage too because I've, I've seen you uh, film from there. So yeah, that's a great thing. But uh, just more, more recently, uh, just to be a little cliche, golf. <laughs> and the other day I was on the golf course, you know, closing a real estate deal. And I thought, oh my God, if my 20-year-old self could see me. <laughs> because, Am I that guy? Am I an old guy on the golf course doing real estate? But I, I do love golf. And, and uh, you can pick it up at any point in, in your life. So that's my new passion. And I was just in a tournament last weekend with like 20 of my uh, university and high school friends and I loved it. So golf too. Perfect. Sounds good. Number four, if you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? How would I start again? I would say, uh, go, go North young man. Like down here, you need so much money uh, for a down payment. Like, you know, the average price of a house in this town has jumped from like, you know, 250,000 to like 600,000. Uh, so I would I would uh, go up north and I would uh, try and scrape together you know twenty thousand dollars and I would I would buy a single family home and I would do all the work myself and I'm talking north north like Sault Ste Marie could do it like I said Cobalt uh, New Liskard um, Timmins so I would take my money north where it's cheaper and that's what I did uh, out of high school uh, or at a university rather I. Um, there weren't really any jobs around, so I, I, you know, I answered an ad in the paper before the internet 
and I, I started uh, teaching English in, in Korea, and that led me to, you know, Japan, Taiwan. Uh, I lived in Europe for a year. So go where the work is, or in this case, go to where the deals are. So go north with a little bit of money, and you can snowball that. I feel like you half answered my next question, which was, or is, <laughs> if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend it? Yeah, exactly the same. Take it north. <laughs> and uh, thanks, thanks for your box. You could probably get two income properties for that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you might have to get out of your comfort zone and, and get comfortable driving around. But uh, MLS, isn't that a magical thing? You can look at all those properties up north. All you have to do is, is uh, look at those northern markets, find a deal. And, uh, you know, $50,000 is nothing down here in southern Ontario or central Ontario, but it is still a substantial amount of money up north. So take that money, look to the north, put your name in with a lot of different realtors, a lot, even mortgage brokers, just cast a wide net and somebody will bring you something. And uh, you can do it that way. All right. Awesome. Thanks for playing the lightning round, Josh. That was our five questions. So where can my listeners reach out and find out more about you? My Instagram is uh, investnorth.ca. I also have a website, investnorth.ca. And I actually have, uh, we do shoot some YouTube channels uh, from time to time, just trying to explain what we're doing and if we could help somebody else. I coach, but I coach for free. So uh, it's just kind of uh, a fun channel to, to have a look at. We kind of, you know, we, we have uh, weird situations with tenants being nasty and just funny anecdotes, but it's called Adventures in Landlording, and that's on YouTube. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's some funny videos. Check that out. Absolutely. And uh, subscribe to your channel. Sure. Yeah. How about it? Cool. Well, thank you. That was awesome. Josh, thanks for the insights and uh, guys just go check out the YouTube, go check out the websites and, uh, and reach out to Josh. If, uh, if there are any questions about investing up North or anything that you heard from the podcast, thanks so much for being on the show. Dan, thank you so much, Sarah. And I hope to uh, meet you in person one day. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot.
Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.